You are listening to episode 20, Talking COVID in the United States with Dr. Reagan DeHart. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians. What makes us different and what makes us similar? It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. Hello. Hey, Dr. Dehart, how you doing? Good day. <laughs> Welcome to Greenland. Hello, uh, down under. <laughs> Reagan, I'd like to introduce you to Diana Elliott, uh, my awesome co-host. Hi, Reagan. Thanks so much for joining Hi. us. Great from the hospital. Too. I guess we can just get right on into it. Uh, so, Reagan, how are you? How's how's it going in the United States? You know, you're you're dealing with. With um, with clients who are contracting COVID, you you are seeing some um, some crazy things happening in the U.S. Uh, tell us a little about a little bit about what's happening. It's not good here. Um, life is not good in the U.S. right now. Americans, uh, I'll just be frank, don't know how to follow instructions. Americans think that um, their freedoms are being taken away. Taken away all in the name of protecting uh, our brothers and our sisters. You know, today is a Monday. I've learned to now dread Mondays because I get new documents in showing me which patients of mine who have been admitted to the hospital. Um, that's a normal thing, but I just dread it more nowadays because I get to see, you know, outside of their other chronic health problems, COVID now being a diagnosis, COVID being the cause that has shortened their lives. Um, I do testing at a basically a public health clinic three days out of the week. So far, at least one out of five patients that I am testing um, are coming back positive. Our tests are not 100%. So even those that are negative who have symptoms, we still have to give them precautions um, in regards to COVID. It's, it's chaotic. However, there is uh, light at the end of the tunnel today in the U.S. this morning. The first uh, uh, person became vaccinated, a nurse in Queens, New York. So that's good. But, you know, our darkest times are still among us, uh, upon us in the next two to three months. It's when it's going to be most important for Americans to continue to wear their masks, practice social distancing. We should not be traveling for the holidays. I mean, it just couldn't come at a worse time just because of how culturally we love to be together for the holidays and having to spend time with only those that are within what we're calling our bubbles. And those are, you know, the people that are normally in our homes, people that we work with. It's just, it's just been, uh, it's been a big change and it's, it's drab. It's sad. It's um, death is around us. You know, it's just there's no easy way to put it. There's no boat that you can put on COVID. It's it's not good because it's it's at it's at three hundred thousand deaths now. That milestone. today, yep. yeah, we we just crossed over to three hundred thousand sometime this morning, and uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. Nowhere else in the world, you know, we're the most advanced they say 
place in the world, but we have not been able to protect our citizens. Um, we lack good leadership. People here do not believe in science. Um, there's just, just so many, um, things that have gone wrong in the past year. And just for for our audience to understand, because in Melbourne, we had one of the most severe lockdowns, I think in the world, um, to suppress a second wave. And I think it was about two months, felt like a lot longer, but of literally not being able to leave the house and, and um, travel more than five kilometres and it was is very restrictive and schools and everything else were closed. And now we're at zero cases daily except for those coming from overseas um, who are obviously in hotel quarantine. But as a doctor, how would you sort of, I mean, it must be so frustrating to you that people are not adhering to those requirements. Like, do you understand why that is, you know, why they're not complying with those measures? I think it's kind of a, a deeper uh, um, symptom of what's going on in our culture to begin with. Richness of, uh, of privilege, of um, just not caring for your fellow citizens. Um, you know, they call it patriotism, but it's anti-patriotic. <laughs> Uh, in a way, I think it's just it's just so many levels to it. And it um, just begins, I think, just with the overall uh, mood and culture within within our country to begin with right now. Because I saw an article in Australia where they were saying that 50 studies, studies have shown that 50 percent of Americans and you might have better data on this, but 50 percent of Americans are committed to having a vaccine but only 25% of black American men will agree to have it at, at, at this present time because they, they're very fearful of it. Is that something that you're seeing on a day-to-day basis that, you know, there's talk about the vaccine and the first one's done today, but are people sharing those types of views with you? Absolutely. I, I get asked um, several times a week, uh, particularly by minority patients whether they suggest that I should take it. You know, the United States has such a um, terrible history of um, experimentation with black bodies that it has made us as a people distrustful. And so all of a sudden under the leadership of a uh, president who has shown very little respect Um, for minorities, all of a sudden you have a vaccine and you want everyone to take it. However, there's a background of distrust. So there's a lot of of work that has to be done um, from within the medical and the science communities to help minority patients learn to trust. And if that's, I'm going to have to take it myself to be, to lead by example then that's what it'll be. Personally, I'm a, I, I'm a young and healthy person. I take care of myself. I don't necessarily feel like I need it. However, you know, we take one for the team. You know, again, we lead by example. I will most likely be getting the vaccine. Reagan, can you talk about, you, you talk about that distrust and the history of, um, of why, African-Americans are fearful of 
of taking a vaccine, um, and not only this vaccine, but the flu shot and others. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about the Tuskegee experiment? I, I know that's one, a big one that um, still resonates with our community. Sure. Uh, if sure. you can give some insight into to your knowledge about that experiment and why it's so significant that uh, we dispel a lot of this you know, this mistrust of our government and uh, our officials and, and medical, uh, the, our, our medical society. Well, the Tuskegee experiment was a, a, a research uh, project that went on for almost 40 years in the United States where poor black sharecroppers in the South were um, inoculated with syphilis in order to, to study um, the disease process. They were, and a lot of them developed what is called tertiary syphilis, where which leads to brain damage. Uh, many of them died and um, the project went on from the late 30s until 1972. People were still being uh, inoculated with syphilis um, in order to, to study uh, the, the infection. And so a whole generation of, of black people. And if you think about during those times between the 40s and the 70s, that was before um, the civil rights on through it to just post-civil rights. And all of these things were going on with experimentation of black bodies. So sure, that's why we are uh, distrustful of government uh, research programs when it comes to our health. And not only, you know, um, the Tuskegee experiment, we also think about the lady Henrietta Lacks, whose cells from her cervix were experimented on extensively. And uh, she was basically mutilated, sure, in the name of science. And, you know, things have progressed this far, but um, it's just a, a blatant disrespect for the Black body. And even today, within some of the immigrant camps um, near the border, Latino women having hysterectomies without their consent for unknown reasons. That's not, that's a story that is just now starting to come to the surface where, uh, you know, those, you know, our immigrant crisis is a big deal. And those those women are also being abused. So there's so many reasons for minorities to distrust this government. Wow, that's horrendous. Those yeah. Stories. Like the Handmaid's Tale. Um, we're, we are five. America, we're almost there. <laughs> we're, Handmaid's Tale is on deck. Wow. Well, and, I haven't uh, I haven't seen the hands mail's tail handmaid's oh, tail. Maybe I need to watch it and see. Yeah, it is so about. subtle. There, there are so many elements in our culture right now that are just so subtle. We are like a step from that. We think, oh, that can never be us, but just little twists and turns of the the screws of democracy can have us right there. Oh, so other than people like yourself being a role model for people in communities such as yours to take the vaccine and sort of still be standing and not be infected with anything, what else can be done? Because that's a really, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theorist stuff, which is very separate to what you're describing um, about that genuine distrust for very legitimate reasons. But then you've got all the conspiracy theorists and sort of some of the Republicans advocating not to take the vaccine and just let nature do its work with your immunity. What other things can be done from a health professional's point of view, do you think? 
Well, I mean, I think even beyond that is we think about the, the power of social media and how I believe social media does have a bit of a, um, a responsibility to help. Uh, you know, so social media is how these conspiracy theories spread so quickly. Um, we're going, those, we, we can't stop that, but that is a way to help you know, spread facts. So we, we need more uh, factual uh, media out there. You know, we can call it, you know, I've heard people say, oh, we need to call on the leaders in the black community. You need to get Jay-Z to take, I mean, just ridiculous things, Jay-Z to take the, <laughs> the vaccine and all of those stuff. But it's going to, ta- it's going to take investment into the community. It's going to, we need from, you know, social media to TV time. We need people with minority faces um, out there spreading, uh, you know, the the truth that it's, it's efficacious. And, you know, non-minorities are will probably be more receptive to, to that as well, seeing minorities out there saying it's safe. Let's do this. Let's protect each other. I mean... If, if we don't understand by now the importance of protecting our brother and sister by wearing masks, I don't think that Americans are going to, I, I don't know what else we can do. I mean, we beat that dead horse, but we need to see faces out there. You know, Reagan, I was, um, being here in Australia, I count my blessings because mm-hmm. uh, right now in Victoria, we have zero cases because our community, we did what needed to be done. They didn't force vaccine in us. We, in fact, they're, I don't think they're going to lay out a vaccine until maybe March, April for Australians. But what we did do was wear our masks. We got our tests. Mm-hmm. We did. We, we socially distanced. You know, we we quarantined at the behest of government instructions. And what I find when I look back home, I think typical America, mm-hmm. that typical mindset that no one's going to tell me what to do. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Government's going to not going to control what I say or what I do. And I think that is I think that's very dangerous. You know, as I as I look back home, I want to come home and visit. I do. But I will not subject my family. Like I wouldn't come here. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't come here. And it like it starts at the top. You know, you said your your government. You guys have capable, competent, empathic leadership. We have not had that in the last four or five years. That's that's where we right. That's where we went wrong is with who's who is in the office. And so if that person was able to lead by example and have, you know, a cabinet and staff around him that were honorable, things would be a lot different, right? I have no doubt. I think so too, Reagan, that in Australia that we've had a lot of support from government with people that have lost their jobs because of COVID because they had to shut their shop or whatever, then they get um, benefits from the government. If you have a COVID test and you're a casual worker, you don't get sick leave, you get a payment. So there's an incentive to get tested and stay home. And if you do get tested and you're positive, then you get an extra bit of money for that. But it feels like in America, that's not, that that's kind of gone hand in hand with people resisting these measures because ultimately they're not getting helped in a, in a financial sense. Would that be correct? Do you think? That, that's absolutely right. Um, 
in the, I think I believe it was in the spring, the government did give a one-time stimulus to people who were off of work. I do believe there has been some added benefit with unemployment, but that at the end of the year, that stops the moment moratorium on on uh, rent and mortgages that's so there's we're going to have a sh- pop we're having population shifts already because people are, are moving out of moving from the coast to more uh, affordable places to live places where there are more jobs so we have a whole generational uh cultural shift going on in the united states because of this virus it's not only affecting you know employment it's just affecting just the whole um, the whole landscape. And so there's going to be more homeless people. There's going to be, there's already going to be more crime. It's just a snowball of social issues that we haven't even realized are going to come out of COVID. It's not even just unemployment. It's just all the other things that are going to go along with it when yeah, I'm making myself sad. And, and you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't be sad. Don't do that. Just because of this thing that was just the flu, right? It's no worse than the flu. Look where we are. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's depressing someday. And it hasn't just disappeared like magic, has it? No, it didn't. He said it was going to be gone at Easter. That's mm-hmm. when it really started. Did he say this up. Easter or 2022? No, it was supposed to be gone Easter of 2020. Oh, oh, I thought maybe yeah, he meant that was, that was one of the um, messages that we were given that don't worry about it. It's just like the flu. It's going to be gone. Well, you talk about generational and how this this COVID is having a, a major effect on generational. Speaking of generational, if we look at how um, minorities live, they live in a intergenerational household, you know, when, when they can't afford their own individual place, families open the door. And sometimes you have 10, 15 people in one house trying to sleep on mattresses and around the living room on the couches and stuff. And then they're working and they're in and out and that's causing sickness to the elderly. And then the children are going to school and it's bringing, I mean, how is all that working with zoom school? And I mean, what, how break that down a little bit. I mean, we've just gone through that and it was, we were able to kind of manage it. It was tough on us and we were following the rules, but you know, what's happening? How's, how's little miles? I mean, your right. son is miles. How, how's miles coping at school? I, and stuff? In the background. I saw him running our, around our there. Kids are basically two years behind wow. school last year. Um, basically they, were where they dismissed the kids from the school buildings and I think it was like March of last year and they relied on they would send packets of learning materials and they had some online materials for kids to work at their own pace with that was a total disaster because at that time not all the the kids in the school districts even had computers and laptops and internet access and all of those things that wasn't so that was a wash last year was basically a wash and then this year you know we're starting all remote they've done their best with technology even you know as you know three and four months after the school year started there were still kids without computers um 
A lot of children had to be given like little mobile hotspots for them to have, you know, interaccess, internet access at home. That just shows you the disparities. You know, the more wealthy parents, they're able to have their children in private schools that were still open or have private tutors and learning liaisons. While most minority children, you know, their parents have to work. So you may have a third grader at home watching their kindergarten, you know, siblings through remote learning. Mm-hmm. And so that puts children at danger because they're at home alone. They can be preyed upon. I mean, there's so many things that we did not think about that have gone along with remote learning where parents are not even get they're not getting paid to stay at home for this. So they lose their job. Also, they can be also that they can be at home to watch their kids. It's been a complete disaster. I can't sit in front of a computer for more than an hour at a time without having to get up. So, and my son is in his bedroom with the door closed for like seven out seven hours out of the day, logged on to a computer and you have a tutor. So it's, it's just, it's overwhelming. Education is overwhelming right now. And then you talk about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? Go ahead. Continue. And then your second issue was about intergenerational families. Um, that's a that education is a big part of what I have to do at my at my um, health clinic. I we are our main pop patient population is the underserved. So there's a lot of Latino families. We know Latino and Asian families are notorious for having multiple generations living at in the home. Most of our patients that have been positive are Latino. So as part of education, when we're giving them their results, we have to be culturally cultural to, culturally sensitive, knowing that it, you may be a 25-year-old construction worker, but your grandmother is living at home, plus you may have two or three children, plus your parents, and you may feel fine from COVID. You may just have a runny nose, but you bring that home and your abuelo, your parents may get sick and next thing you know, end up in the ICU. So it's, and I, I, I take it upon myself to be, you know, sensitive to, to them and, you know, recognize their culture. Like I know this is, we want to get together with our families. We want to all be together, but we can't. Um, so that that's been a huge barrier uh, with with uh, many patients trying to help them understand that um, you have to try to be able to separate as much as you can at home. And if you're living in a home with, you know, a three bedroom home and you have seven or eight people living there, it's not even possible. So explaining that you all need to quarantine together. Like if one person is sick, you have to act like you're all sick. They eventually all end up getting the infection as well. So it's, it's so complex. I don't even know if that made sense, but, but it, it's, it's so complex. How do you deal with the, the trauma that you're going through when you're seeing these sick, how do you deal with it? I mean, I, I know, I mean, how do you deal with, how do you deal with it uh, in the hospital and you, you know, your patients are, are passing on and as a doctor, I mean, and, and thank you for your service, Reagan. You, you have no idea. You you know, frontline worker, I, thank you so much. But I, and I think it's good mentally to talk about it and, and and hopefully share with those that really want to know what is a what what do you how do you deal? I mean, what 
Well, first, I'll, I'll preface my answer with saying, you know, I feel blessed that I don't have to work in the hospital. I work in an outpatient setting where we're somewhat somewhat kind of a middleman before a person gets to the hospital with COVID. So like I said, it's a primary health care clinic. So like I said, a few, three day, days out of the week, I actually do the testing um, with patients and it's hard. You can tell which ones are positive. Oh, I've been doing text, testing since March 23rd. And it's like, there's a look of COVID and I've learned how to, Um, to recognize that, whether it's, in a, it's a child or an adult. So that's part, that part is mentally hard, knowing that, oh God, I know this person has COVID. Even though I'm covered in head to toe with, you know, with PPE on, I'm still basically, you're still basically being exposed. And then you, have, you come home to your family, you want to keep your family safe. It, it kind of seems like, the have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? where you wake up and you're in the same thing, you're reliving the same day yeah. over and over. So that start that itself starts to take a mental toll. And so, and I feel a greater responsibility of, I have to take care of myself so I can be available to take care of other people. So it's been a sacrifice where I can't go on a vacation. I can't go out and have a glass of wine with my friends. I can't have company coming over to my house just because of my risk. So it, it makes, um, it's, it's, it's lonely. COVID creates loneliness. Um, it, you know, I, I don't go and visit my parents very often. I mean, we only live six blocks away from each other, but because of my degree of exposure, you know, we may maintain a very small bubble in my house. So it, it's, it's very, you know, it's been very mentally taxing. Um, and I'm just thankful um, that I am not working in the hospital, in the emergency room or in an ICU environment because, you know, those providers are becoming sick. Those providers are dying. Those providers are depressed. Those providers are committing suicide. Suicides are up. Many people are talking about leaving the medical field and never coming back mm-hmm. um, after this, like saying this is not what they signed up for, but this is what we signed up for. You know, we, we have to be here for people regardless of uh, you have to be able to, you know, turn yourself off, mm-hmm. you know, turn your brain off and, and just care for people. Go cry at home. Go cry in the corner later. Wow. They suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Damn. I mean, that, you know that, that's and you know Damn. That, that's where we are you know like you 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 don't have time for this you have to show up for people you have to be there for people it's just like you know as parents we have to we have to show up i was telling diana earlier i said um i mean if it wasn't for you you know your your family your doctor your dad delivered me so i'm i'm honored to to have that the whole yeah. D heart experience. You know? family. Lovely, yeah. lovely doctors. Thank you. Thank you so much. Diana, you have anything else for, for Ray Day? I call it Ray Day, but Dr. D heart. <laughs> no, I think that's really been a fantastic insight. I mean, terribly sad and horrifying in many respects, but it's a sort of story that we don't often hear, you know, from the front line and the local testing clinic. And I think those behaviours that you've described and that kind of that horrible legacy of this testing on a 
vulnerable people that were unwitting, I presume, when they had these terrible things done to them. My God, you know, that's helped inform a little bit of my understanding about that aspect. So, yeah, just thank you. Thank you for all that you do, as Donald said, in your community, but also thanks for your time today because I know you've got probably 50 million other things you could be doing right now. I'm, I'm thankful for the space to just, you know, express it because most of the days that's just, you know, we just have to, st- we store that away, yes. you know, and day after day is just, we suppress, you have to suppress it. Yeah. Well, let it out, sister, let it out. Yeah. Let it out. There are COVID crime warnings. I, I mean, some mornings I, you know, gotta yeah. let it out. You know, we're humans. Absolutely. Ray, I hate to see you like this. I mean, I, I really do. I just, I hope everything is better. I don't like to see you like this. Uh, no. I, I don't, you know, you know that. Hang in there. We're, you know, we're yeah. praying for you and, and got you in our thoughts and stuff. And, you know, Absolutely. if anything I can do from Australia, you know, please let me know. I need to. We. I want to get on the airplane and come. Yeah. In the meantime, I send you a little of the sand. I can't send you in the beautiful sun. It's so beautiful today, but and I don't mean to, to to rub it in your face, but I just wanted to give you some hope so that when you get on the airplane, you have something to look forward to. Absolutely. Thank right. you. Thank you, Reagan. I love you, my friend. Love you too. Thank Thanks, you. Reagan. Thank you guys for having me anytime. so much for listening to us today on Greenland. If you'd like to become a Greenlander, visit greenlandthepodcast.com and follow the links to subscribe. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast listening app. Um, That really helps us to kind of percolate to the top and to also get a nice little bit of feedback from you guys. If you'd like to send us an email, you'll find uh, links to contact us on our webpage as well. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.